You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. We have Van Sturgeon on the call. Van, I really appreciate your time. And we're going to get to spend a lot of time talking about how we can manage and run the numbers on doing renovations. And I know this is where a lot of people, when they start especially getting into flipping, fix and flipping, that's where they have some troubles. Really appreciate your time, Van, but I really want to make sure everybody has you, your website because you have a ton of content and resources and free training. And, and I mean, you even have a calculator that they can download so that they can run some of these numbers themselves. So head over to vansturgeon.com and I'm going to spell that and put it in the show notes. So it's V-A-N-S-T-U-R-G-E-O-N.com. Uh, Van, I really appreciate your time. But uh, let's start things off. Uh, I think some people of the audience are probably going to be very familiar with who you are. Um, but uh, I, I, it's always amazing how people get into this. And I know where you're at today. You're partial semi-retired. Um, so sometimes I even have to ask, what what are you doing this coaching and training for at this point? But um, I'm going to guess that that has something to do with your why. But uh in a nutshell, how did you get into this, the whole real estate investing game? Well, the whole real estate investing game, I got into it uh, at a very uh, young age. Um, so, JD, I, first of all, let me thank you for for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Uh, I've been looking forward to having uh, time to spend with you, and and so I'm look. So, thank you for that. But uh, to get started, uh, my 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 journey started really young. I, I'm a I was born and raised in Chicago, and um, my parents are immigrants. Uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Chicago, and uh, my parents were looking to save up their dollars to buy their dream home. And as they were scurrying their money away, uh, they were able to figure out and find out that the apartment building that we were living in actually had gone up for sale. So instead of spending, buying that uh, dream home, they decided to become landlords. And uh, that happened in the late 70s. And uh, the building was fully occupied. It was great. And then all of a sudden, things started to change in the economy and just in the neighborhood in that uh, you know, interest rates uh, skyrocketed. The economy was in the dumps. There's a rent hostage situation. A lot of things, uh, JD, that you weren't, you don't remember. You're too young to remember all these things. But there was a lot of stuff going on back then. And uh, it, what led to uh, all of a sudden, the area started to deteriorate. And um, this fully occupied building all of a sudden started to suffer 40, 60% vacancy. And literally in my neighborhood, there's buildings that were torched by landlords just to collect insurance money because it was just so bad. It was a really mm-hmm. a miserable time. Um, and as a family, we this was our investment. This, we, all, uh, we had our eggs in, all in one basket. And we had to do everything that we could to survive. And that meant having to do everything that was that we needed to do that was associated with the with the building in terms of maintaining it, renovating it. So from painting walls, plastering roof, windows, you name it, we we as a family did everything. And um, and we were able to survive and hang on. Eventually things got better. And when it was the best investment that my parents could have possibly have made. Then I, I went off to university, graduated. Uh, I could have become I could have became a lawyer. 
I had some, uh, but I, I just didn't have the driver passion for it. I came back to Chicago and broke the bad news to my parents. They were disappointed in me, but I, uh, I embarked on, I wanted to, and I stressed to them that I really wanted to get into general contractor renovations. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, it, it was effortless for me and it didn't seem like work. So uh, I embarked, uh, this was uh, in the early nineties. Uh, I started knocking on doors, trying to, trying to cut my teeth, trying to get business. And uh, over a period of time, I started to grow my business. It was a good time, a good period of time in the economy. And uh, I kept running into these same cats, these same people that were renovating, like they're not renovating, but they're real estate investors. Mm-hmm. We're buying properties, renovating them, selling them, flipping them. Some of them will hold on to them as, you know, create a rental portfolio. And that's when I, I was exposed to it more so as, a, as an active, ongoing thing. And that's when I started doing that myself. I remember my first flip, uh, flip was in 1991. Um, it, was, it was a high, at the end of the day, a four-month flip, I made around $30,000, which back then $30,000 was the average salary that people were making back then. So you just give mm-hmm. your perspective, what I was able to accomplish in three or four months, you know, most people spend you know, their whole year working and trying to profit from make. So that really got me hooked. So I was growing and developing my general contracting business. At the same time, I was doing, uh, I was, I was flipping homes and, and and starting to develop and grow my real estate portfolio. And uh, and that's what I eventually just kept growing and prospering. Uh, and and I, I, uh, as an offshoot, then I accumulated a portfolio of properties that I was using a property manager. Then I I created enough mass to be able to create my own property management. And then because of my relationships with these real estate investors, they would come to me to manage their portfolio, so which became even bigger. And uh, I've been very blessed. I've been, I'm very, very happy and fortunate. Uh, I'm very blessed with what I have. I'm very thankful. And uh, I, right now I'm at the stage of my life where I've got, I've got a number of businesses that are uh, ongoing, that are successful. I've, uh, and, and I've got some great people that are looking after them as well as I've got partners as well. And uh, I've reached a stage in my life because, uh, you know, the, the, these over 30 years have taken their toll on me where I want to sort of downshift in my life and, and spend more time with my lovely wife and, um, and family. And uh, so I, I've done that. And, but at the same time, I still have a drive and I still need to do something with myself. And it was, uh, I stumbled upon this whole coaching business where I, 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 I was helping out. And as I've, I've been doing for all of my life, I've been helping you know, friends, family, neighbors, relatives with their renovations where they would come to me, ask me for help, questions. How do you do this? How do you do that? And I would do that. I would help them. And then it was just, I, I've, I had this opportunity to help a family member, not family, but a friend, friends out and and I stumbled upon this love, this, and then, and, and then there was, this is how I just embarked on this. So I, I, I've got a wealth of experiences. I've literally done thousands of renovations on a residential and commercial side. And uh, I just want to share, I, I've created a process, a system that you, through the whole planning and managing where you can avoid hiring a general contractor and actually plan and manage your innovation yourself. By virtue of you just eliminating that general contractor and doing it to yourself, you can save anywhere between 30 to 50% on a renovation. So for example, if your renovation costs you $50,000, me, the general contractor, my profit, my, my, my net cost on it would be somewhere around 35,000 over that course of two, three months. And I would charge you $50,000. That $15,000 is a lot of money. And mm-hmm. if you can learn how to plan and manage it yourself, not only do you save tens of thousands of dollars, 
But JD, you also have control over your whole the whole renovation rehab process, and you learn a new skill set that you can then take and utilize on the next renovation, or perhaps you know when you're looking at that property and you're evaluating you know what the cost is. You know, you got a you got an opportunity to to buy a great deal, but it's not a great deal because it's an ugly duckling. There's some work that needs to be done to the property. By you being able to walk in that property confidently, pointing out and understanding how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take. By virtue of having that ability, that skill set, it gives you the confidence to be able to move forward and, and per- make that purchase versus if you were to have to wait for your contractor friend or you know, a property inspector to come in and look at the property. You, know, it, it, you don't have that time. You don't have that luxury anymore with how this real estate market is shaping out where you, know, you, you got only literally got a couple hours to, to be able to make a deal or the, it's going to go to somebody else. So that's where I'm at. That's what, that's what I've been doing with my life so far. Yeah. Like I said, this is going to be especially interesting to a lot of the people because, you know, when we're talking to real estate investors and they come in, you know, they find the show or they, they find the local meetup or what have you, uh, those first times it's, it's likely because they've run into a, a group that has come into the area to talk about fix and flipping. Uh, and they get all fired up, or they have this starry-eyed concept of what it, they can rehab an entire uh, house in a weekend thanks to the DIY network. But uh, it's a lot more complicated than that, and um, you know, and a lot of people will typically default to hiring a general contractor. So when you say going doing away with the general contractor and saving the the amount of money that that they can, what type of roles are you removing from the need of a general contractor and doing yourself um, well, to facilitate that? Well, look, if you're going to, uh, if you're purchasing a property to flip or to hold on to the, to, to, to create uh, as a rental, um, you only have two options. Option number one is to DIY it. Uh, and as you touched on, there's a lot of beautiful shows out there that in 30 minutes, they can renovate a whole house. In fact, there's been there shows that I can build a whole house in 30 minutes mm-hmm. and it's all Hollywood and it's not reality. It's not factual. It's not right. Um, so you can do the DIY route, which I highly recommend that you don't do. And I have scars all over my body and I've seen witnessed uh, literally people hurting themselves and trying that, going that direction. Or the second option is to hire a general contractor. Which you know on the surface is a great idea, right? He's a professional or she's a professional. They walk in, they give you a price, they finish the job, and uh, and that's it. Then you move on. But the reality is, as I'm sure you know, uh, that isn't how it works. Uh, general contractors are our businesses. They they are pro- they're there for profit. And if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to plan and manage the renovation. Even if you give it to a general contractor, that that general contractor is going to take advantage of you. And so, what I try to coach or teach uh, is to be able to have a process, a system that I've I've developed over you know the thirty years and the you know thousands of renovations that I've done that eliminates the issues. Even if you were to go to the direction of hiring a general contractor by by following the system that I'm going to uh, that, that I talk about. It allows you to efficient, be more efficient, and also safeguard yourself from you know cost overruns, finding bad contractors. You know, just really retaining control over your whole renovation. Sure. So, uh, can we go into a few of those 
uh, guidance, like uh, provide, uh, provide the people a, a, a few highlights of that? Sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, like I, I would hope and think that the first uh, uh, first step is to create a goal for the actual renovation rehab project. And that should be tied in with the actual purchase of this property. If if you brought it, I'm sh- I would hope that you've already got a greater uh, you know, picture of what it is that you're looking to accomplish, whether it's a flip or it's a rental property. But you got to fine tune that goal and literally actually write out what it is, what purpose of this actual renovation. So uh, if it's a flip, are you looking to make 30,000, 50,000, 20,000? Write it down. If you're looking to create a rental property, okay, great. What is it that you're looking to rent it for? $1,200, $800, write it down. Because that goal itself is what we're going to use and every action and planning and managing it is going to be filtered through that goal. Every step that we're going to take is going to go through that to get us to the end goal. Because at the end of the day, this is not a house or property we're living in. This is a business. And at the end of the day, we need to be accountable to that goal because we want to make money or we want to churn some type of a profit from it. So we got to create that goal. Then we got to go out there in the marketplace and validate that. If you want to get $1,200 a month in rent, you got to go out there and look at properties that are getting $1,200 a month and identify those certain features and aspects that will be required in a renovation process to be able to, to include those in your property so that you can get to that $1,200. If you're looking at a flip, you got to look at past properties of sold for X amount of dollars that generate that. What is it that they have that your property does not? Once you've been able to get a good sense or understanding, you move on to budget. And budget is uh, is, is the amount of money that's that you need, have to be able to contribute toward the toward this renovation. Um, it's nice to have unlimited money, but none of us do. So you need to have an understanding of what it is, that, the amounts of money that you have or have access to it. So whether that's lines of credit, uh, hard money lenders, whether that's, there's also opportunities that I help people with. There's opportunities also at, at, uh, you know, at the municipal level where their governments have particular programs that are, that are, you can tap into that will, will help in the, in the renovation of that property. Um, those are the types of things that we need to figure out so that we understand how much money is available. And then the next step is um, you got to create what I call a needs and wants list. So it really is literally you walk through the property, identify the items that you want to do to that property, and you separate them from needs where you have to get it done and wants, where if you have the money in the budget, it would be nice to do. So a lot of new real estate investors will immediately gravitate to as an example, windows, that windows need to be replaced. And yes, windows 50, 60 years old should be replaced. But if you don't have the money in the budget, you don't go out and replace the windows. As long as they're functional and you know, they, 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 they don't, there's not big hole, gaping holes that allows the elements in, you leave the windows alone unless you have the money in the budget to address that. So in creating that needs and wants list, you identify exactly what you need to repair and renovate. So for example, a roof that's got a hole in it, then that goes under the category of needs. Windows, hardwood floor needs to be changed or placed. Those are wants because I, I've never come across a carpet or hardwood that has to, has to be replaced. Cosmetically, we do things, but not necessarily for the safety or the structure of the actual property itself that it needs to be replaced. So you wouldn't put that under a need. Once you've been able to create that list, 
Now you've got a good understanding. You got a goal. You know where the money is. You know the certain. You know the things that you need to renovate in the property to replace. The next step is, which is, you know, probably the first or second most important in this whole process. And it's regardless of whether you use a general contractor or not, is you create a document called a scope of work. Now, JD, I, I as I mentioned before, I have worked on commercial and residential. On the commercial side. Whenever you come across a, re- a renovation rehab project on the commercial, whether it's an office building, apartment building, uh, restaurant, all of them have a, a scope of work. It's a document called a scope of work that's created. And typically it's created by an architect, an interior designer, engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's a document that has everything uh, blow by blow. Everything is listed within that actual document of what is to occur in that renovation rehab so the specification of appliances, the color of the walls, how they're supposed to be, the floor is supposed to be applied. All of this critical information is included in the document and it's put it into sections and it clearly identifies what is going to be done. Pictures, diagrams, everything is included in that document. On the residential side, I probably 98% of the, uh, the projects that, undergo, that are underway right now on the residential side are not, don't have anything like that. Which really is puzzles. It puzzles me because whether you hire trades uh, on your own, uh, you know, you talk to a number of electricians or plumbers, or you hire general contractors. On what basis can you talk to these people and compare apples to apples in what they're going to provide you in quotes or estimates? If there isn't a document that each one of these people can look at, read, and understand. How do I know, unless I'm able to crawl into your head, what it is you're looking to accomplish in this renovation rehab of this project? Like, Mm -hmm. how do I know that you want to take this hardwood floor to the living room and not to the dining room? How do I know that you want to replace the window you don't want to replace? Do you know how many different qualities of paint exist out there in the wide variety of different types and the variety and the, and the, the, the variances of price? How many different types of toilets there are? There's $100 toilets. There's $10,000 toilets. Which one do you want? As a, as a, as a general contractor or as a tradesperson, I'm mystified at, you know, if I get a phone call from somebody and I get these phone calls every day, hey, I want you to price out my job. Okay, what have you got? Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, but, but I need your help. You can, you as a, as a business owner, meaning, you know, real estate investor, which I consider a business. You can't go in absent-minded, you know, blindly like that, asking for help on planning it. You got to do this yourself, and you got to do it in a structured fashion so that you have uh, an ability to be able to compare apples to apples quotes from every single entity that you know provides pricing for your job. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and you just hit on something that uh, was kind of a reality bomb there. The the whole concept of writing up a scope of work. First of all, um, if you're doing similar projects over and over again, you can probably create, you know, it. it's going to be that heavy lifting up front, but eventually it's going to be templated to provide, you know, a lot of that information is going to be very similar from one project to the next. So, um, so there's an investment of time up front there that is pr- probably going to be well worth it. But this would also explain why people would, when they're talking to general contractors or just any kind of contractor, uh, why their pricing is so different, radically different from one person to the to the next. Because without something like this that you're presenting to them, they're not 
more times than not, they're not starting at the same starting point or they're misunderstanding or there's a miscommunication or you might have said something slightly differently from one person to the next. Um, it would probably help with the planning when it comes to the dollar amounts going forward. Absolutely. You nailed it on the head. And I'm going to go a little bit further. Uh, I, again, I I got my start as a general contractor and I feel phone calls, not now, but back in the day, I would feel phone calls every single day. And when I'm busy, I just don't, I realize early on my, the way I can make money, the most amount of money is turnover. I don't like being sucked into a project that should have been taken care of in two months ends up turning into four. Yes, I might charge for it, but there's no money in it. My the name of the game is turnover, and once you got once you got to the point where as a real estate investor you understand that scaling turnover that's the name of the game. That's how you make money. So if I ever were to get a phone call when I'm busy from somebody who just gave me one of those, oh yeah, I want you to come over here and take a look at it. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not wasting my time. And because I know that this is just going to be a rabbit hole that I won't be able to, I'll go into, I won't be able to come out. And I, so many times uh, I get phone calls from folks that are just so frustrated. They have this property, they want to renovate it, and they've reached out to like 20 some odd contractors, trace people, and nobody hardly ever returns their phone call. And out of the 20 some odd, they'll get four or five, six guys will show up. And out of those four or five, six guys only get two or three quotes. And those quotes are all over the place. They'll be from 18,000 all the way up to 35,000. And they mm -hmm. scratch their head, wonder why, what's going on? How come? And then when I start asking these questions, JD, when I say, well, you grabbed that contractor, came over to your property. What did you actually do? You just walk them around? Did you give them something? And I started to ask these questions that, and all of a sudden they, they, you know, the light bulb goes off and they scratch, they wonder, then they realize that that's the reason why they're not getting qualified people to show up and to provide quotes, because I'm telling you that I walk away from that because I am in the business of making turnover and making money. And I know that if I get sucked into the, it, that's why you'll attract losers. You'll attract newbies on the construction renovation side that will get, you know, they're looking for work. Even to this day right now, as busy as everybody is, uh, there's guys out there who are struggling who, you know, and so they'll get, they'll get that phone call. And they'll go there and they'll still and they'll spend time and waste time with this with this property owner. And both of them will at the end of the day, both of them will lose. There will be a dust up. There will be a situation. And that's why contractors or tradespeople have a bad name. And then maybe real estate investors also get a bad name because we're always so cheap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But all this kind of stuff can be avoided by simply having a document create a scope of work which clearly identifies exactly what it is that you want. And that way everybody knows. Everybody understands where where what has to happen, and then there's more to that. Though I do agree with you, JD, that you can once you have uh, an idea of uh, the construction or format of the scope of work, uh, you could use many elements of it. But also at the same time, every one of them is unique to the property because not every right. property requires the same amount of work. So you're going to have to alter and change it. But yes, the structure is there. You're going to have to play with the clauses. You're going to have to play with the diary, you know the things that you're going to include and not include. But yeah, it, the, uh, once you have the system in the, the in place, you you can you constantly you're going to keep using that, and you're so much better for it because everything is upfront, everything is in writing. You know, there's no hocus pocus confusion with the you know that contractor traceperson. The well, I thought you said you're going to no, and there's not thought who ha no, it's all written in the document, and by them 
taking that document and then there's certain clauses you need to put in that scope of work also that, you know, to make sure that they are responsible for everything associated with that property or that renovation, they will come to you and say, well, I think you missed this. I think you should add this to your scope of work. And you, and you fine tune it even further. And it's just a great process. Right. So how do you typically organize the scope of work? Is it by room or by, you know, electrician, plumber, you know, how does that look? What I do is uh, we go, you go for, you start off with uh, go room by room. Uh, you start uh, from the exterior and then you move into the interior. Um, and then you start to, and then from the first floor to the second floor, does that, that's a process I usually uh, use. And then once I have that, then I pick off the items that are associated with each discipline in that room. And then I create subsections to that. So the electrician, if he's got work to do in the master bedroom, the bath, the bathroom, the outside exterior light, I pull all those line items and I create a section for the electrician and then I create a section for the plumber. And it's really easy, cut and paste, cut and paste. Right. Uh, once you've created that, then, and then with the diagrams and, and the pictures, then you, you tender it out. And so for the electrician, who's busy and we want busy people. We don't want people uh, sitting by waiting on the phone to ring. We want guys who are active and moving because that means they know what they're doing. They're good people. They're good. uh, They're good at what they do. So once they get it, they're more inclined to quote on it because it's all information is there, JD. They don't have to fish around for it. They don't have to waste time driving to the job site, meeting with the property owner. It's there. The pictures are there. The diagrams are there. You know, uh, the measurements, you can include the measurements as well. So it's handed to them, it's spoon feed them. And when they see that, by virtue of them seeing something like that, they know that they're dealing with a, a bona fide operator. You put them at a certain ease that this guy's not some hocus pocus artist, you know, this mm. newbie real estate investor. He's a seasoned professional. He's got his stuff in order. He sees it, they see it, they quote on it. And it's amazing the response rate, how much, how dramatically it increases uh, by virtue of that document and how you handle yourself. Yeah, I can imagine how this can help on a number of uh, angles here because, you know, you even now that you say this, you know, I've called a number of contractors and uh, I just don't even get a phone call back. But if I if I had something like that in hand, uh, that would probably definitely increase the uh, the response rate. I, th- I, th- I have done this for a long, long time, and I can assure you, and I'm speaking as a general contractor, uh, if I got a phone call versus a phone call slash email that says, here's a scope of work, price this out, I'm more inclined to deal with that person who sent me that email with the scope of work because it came from an operator. It came from somebody who's an ongoing entity. And uh, by that, I want to create a relationship with that person because I'm going to get more work from that person, right? And mm-hmm. also, again, the name of the game is speed and efficiency. I want to go in there, get the job done, get my money, move on. And I don't want to get bogged down. Nobody makes, you know, you don't make money getting bogged down in a job. So you get in there, you do your job, you move on to the next one. And that's what I would like to see in every prospect if I don't know who you are. Obviously, if I know I have a working relationship with you, then that's a different story. But if you're a new real estate investor who doesn't have anybody, um, you need to have, you need to start off on a basis of that. You know, you need to have that kind of power. You got to show that kind of power that you even, they don't need to know you're a newbie, but they need to, you know, have a sense uh, that, Hey, this guy's on the ball. Did you know what you're doing? Sure. So once the scope of work is written, how do you start to organize those, uh, 
those contractors and, and position them as to when one, so you don't want to have them stepping on each other. Sure. Well, you, uh, well, you can get out a sheet of paper, a chalkboard, and in the conversations that you have with these tradespeople, these contractors, they will tell you how many times they need to be at the property twice, three times at what stage. And sir, you, sir, you slot them in. You slot them like a train conductor. You slot in these empty slots. Sometimes you might have two or three trades working at the same time. Some of the times you only have one. And, and you slot them in and everybody is accountable. You show them the, you show them the schedule. Say, is this work sun for you? They look at it. You get a sign-off, sign-off, sign-off for everybody. Everybody's happy. It's a go. And then all you got to do is make sure that they live up to their scheduling uh, and that's another issue is that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of contractors who trace people right now because everybody's busy where they'll, they'll, they'll grab a bunch of deposits from people and then have you jerk you around. And that's something mm-hmm. that we can talk about also, because I really feel badly for people, especially new real estate investors who go out there and, and, and uh, expect, you know, to create this relationship with a contractor trace person. And all of a sudden uh, it turns sour because uh, they don't show up when they're supposed to show up. Right. Right. So how do you how do you handle that? Well, the number one thing that I I like uh, we also we in the in the process of determining who we do business with we all we have to understand our project itself. Every we are all looking for that unicorn contractor, that person that you know give you the best price that is uh, going to show up on time and has got the best quality. You know, all three of those qualities we're looking for in a contractor, but just like unicorns, they don't exist. You're lucky if you get two out of the three out of that contractor or tradesperson. And so every contractor tradesperson, you got to sort of figure out what they what they're best at and then plug them into the type of renovation that you're doing. So if speed and efficiency is better is something that you're going for uh, versus uh, uh, quality. You know, those are types of things that you got to determine on each contractor tradesperson. So as a result, you know, if you're going to use a small man, you know, small guy, Who's you know just a one man wrecking crew? You know you they might give you the best price. They might give you great quality, but they're gonna be they're gonna be slow. They're not gonna be there when you need them because they're work now. They're not only working for you. They're also working for other projects. So sometimes you elevate to the medium sized company, the large size firm. They have advantages, and then all they gotta do is just make, all you have to do is make a phone call, and then they'll send somebody there to do the work. But the disadvantages maybe quality, maybe the price. So these are the factors we all have to figure out in that whole comprehensive planning stage of who we want to use uh, for our project. But to answer your question more directly, you asked me, how do I make sure that these people, these trades and contractors show up by a job site? That's the magic question. That's the $64,000 question, J.D., you're asking me. And I'm going to Mm -hmm. give you the answer. The answer is money. You control them by money. Oftentimes, I find my new real estate investor friends, these poor little, these poor folks, they go out there and they, and they, 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 start, they, they, they solicit the efforts of a contractor, tradesperson. That contractor, like me, a wily old veteran, will say, I need 50% upfront. 50% upfront of money. That's crazy. I would never, I would never spend that, I would never give that kind of money upfront, but I hear and see 30, 50, 80% upfront before they lift a finger on your project. And that's crazy. That's ludicrous. The only place that I am going to give money upfront before receiving a service or a product is McDonald's. 
You know, you stand in line, you give your $10 for that quarter pounder and you step aside, wait for them to, McDonald's only one. Not, not, it shouldn't be with these contractors and tradespeople. The only time money should be given is for products that need to be ordered, material needs to arrive on a job site. I get that. And I would do everything that possible to make that purchase directly myself or tie my name into that, that purchase order invoice to make sure that that property is mine because it's my money that's paying for it. But that's it. What is the reason why people are paying more paying money upfront for something? Do you, if you were to have a W four, uh, if you were to have a job, can you go to your employer and say, "Hey, pay me upfront before uh, before providing a service"? Where no. does this exist? So I don't know where this came from. I don't do it. I, I don't do it, and I know bona fide, legitimate operators who are you know general contractors or or real estate investors who've been in this game for a long time. They don't pay. They don't pay upfront for that. They pay up money up front for materials, but not for services. Services have to be provided, then they get receive payment. That's how it works. And that's whole process when you have this open dialogue prior to them starting anything, before any contracts are signed, you, know, you got to create a payment schedule. And there's certain milestones that need to be hit in order for you to receive payment. And once you've established that, it's all clear up above board. Everybody knows where they stand. So the likelihood of contractors jerking you around because they're going to jump over to another job site, trust me, they're not going to do that with yours because you owe them money. They're going to go do that to somebody else where they already got their fat, you already got a fat check from. They're not going to do that with you because money talks. So how do you control contractors and tradespeople? It's with money. It's plain and simple. Yeah, that 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 really echoes uh, with me because there's been more times than not, especially early on, where we'd hire a contractor and they would uh, they'd come for a day and then we wouldn't see them for days on end, um, and they got busy with another project or it, it wasn't they weren't prioritizing our project. No, no, and and you have to look uh, again. I'm speaking uh, as a as a general contractor. Our, uh, it's, it's, it's a rough life. You only have a certain amount of period of time in the year where you're busy and you're humming. You know, spring, summer, fall, that's, that's it. Winter time comes, you know, there's a good four or five months with the holidays, this, that, and the other, where you're sitting and, and you're, you're not busy. And so you got to maximize the amount of time, uh, the work that you have, the ability to be able to pump out as much product or services as you can during that period. So you're going to take on as much as you can but the problem is you're stretching yourself so thin that you got to start bouncing around. And it's just reality. And I've done it myself. You know, you take on more than you have. You know, you only have so many infrastructure to be able to support X amount of work, but you're taking on more. So you're going to drop the ball on certain occasions. But trust me, JD, I wouldn't be dropping the ball on those people who owe me money. It's simple. Mm-hmm. I might drop the ball on those who, you know, got, you know, at, me, at the very minimum equal. If not, I've got more money retained on deposits. Then that's when I'll start maybe playing the game. I don't want to do it, but I, I, from forced, I will. But on the other hand, if if I owe, if somebody owes me a lot of money, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that they're happy so I get paid. So, right. So you know, this is this is absolutely a ton of great information. Um, and uh, I, I hate to start wrapping this up, but we're I, I want to spend a little time on on a couple other things. Um, but before we do, I wanted to remind everybody to head over to vansturgeon.com. If you if you like what Van is talking about and all of the information and truth bombs he's dropping here today, uh, this is the place for you to go. 
again, it's V-A-N-S-T-U-R-G-E-O-N.com. And we, we, we spent a little time talking about those people that are brand new to fix and flipping. Outside of not writing a scope of work, what is the one thing that they should probably consider doing to make sure their flip is successful? Um, I oftentimes see the new real estate investor who's looking at that first flip over, over renovate a property and they put too much money into it and don't have multiple exit strategies with that particular flip. Uh, I, and this is through experience and I've done, I've made my share of mistakes. I always find the biggest ROI is delivered in the exterior, the curb appeal of a property. It's not in the kitchens and the washrooms. They're all things that need to be looked after. Don't get me wrong. But the biggest ROI, return on investment that I've always been able to get is on curb appeal. Just It's amazing uh, on a subconscious conscious and subconscious level what the mind does to an individual, that new prospective purchaser, when they drive up to a home and the curb appeal is just right. They are able to look past, uh, you know, the kitchen that's dated or the bathroom that needs to be, you know, they look, they look past that. As soon as they drive up, because you have to understand, they got all this hope and apprehension. They got all this stuff going on. You know, is this the one? Is this the, going to be the house of our, you know, that our forever home? And they drive up and they, if you get the, the outside curb appeal nailed, it's, it, it's you're, you're three quarters of the way there. So what do you do? You, you, uh, landscaping is important, which is really cheap. Uh, painting doors, uh, putting shutters on windows, uh, replacing garage doors if you have to. Really addressing curb appeal, pressure washing the uh, the siding. Uh, you know these are certain things that you can do. Like uh, even to the extent of you know depending on where you are. But if you got a property in the northern climates where you know winter time comes and there's snow mm-hmm. on the ground, shovel the driveway, shovel the place, make the place more appealing. Uh, hang some Christmas lights. You know make those extra steps to make that home theirs. And it goes and we're talking about a few thousand dollars here. It's amazing what you accomplish. It's amazing, like when I walk through homes where I, I've done flips, where I've just literally replaced the light bulbs. I've got, you know, back in the day, 60 watt condescent light bulbs. Mm-hmm. I switch them over to 120. And all of a sudden, the room would look bigger because it's brighter. Just simple little tricks like that, uh, if, that are, you know, nothing in terms of cost, all of a sudden, you know, changes the appearance of a property and makes it more conducive for, to getting, getting it sold. I don't know if that makes, uh, if I've answered your question. That is extremely valuable right there. You know, I, I can't tell you enough. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm guilty of it. We get so focused on anytime we've done a flip, uh, we get very focused on the, the kitchen and bathrooms, you know, those things that we've been told time and time again, that that's what sells a house. Um, but in the end, We've we've started to slowly pay a bit more attention to the exterior, that curb appeal that you're 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 talking about. You know, even if it's to add a little color and putting flowers in the flower beds and and a few other things just to just to make it more homey. Um I, I can't agree with you more, but but what I think we happen to have to do is is prioritize that exterior and almost put it at the top of the list. Um, because more times than not, we've spent more too much time and money in the in the kitchen and the bathroom and a few other 
uh, things interior that by the time we get to the exterior, we've kind of we've kind of spent the budget. No, and and I and I totally uh, I'm glad you're you're sort of you're coming around. I learned this a long time ago that uh, there's a give you a sign, like 20 some odd years ago, there's no, maybe 30 years ago, there was a real estate agent I was doing business with and a uh, beautiful lady. And she told me one thing I'll never forget. She said, Van, you can't sell the steak without the sizzle. Before you get the steak that was brought to you at the restaurant, you're sitting at the steakhouse before that steak is brought to you, you hear it crackling, you can smell it and you're anticipating it. And you know, it make, you know what I mean? You need, you need to have that. Right. And so another thing also, so uh, definitely curb appeal is most important. It gives you the highest ROI. Second of all, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some little wisdoms also. Uh, another and another thing that my mama told uh, taught me. And she said, always leave a little something on the table. We always are victim of, you know, at that flip to try to go hammer hard at the maximum amount of dollars we can derive from. And guess what? Everybody wants a deal. There isn't, hasn't been a transaction in your life, JD, that you have or anybody out there in cyberspace who's listening to this podcast that hasn't felt that they got a deal. And I might look at their deal and say, no, it's not a deal. But everybody who purchased something or got something thought they got a deal. So when you're looking at a property that you're that you've renovated and you're looking to sell, and let's say the let's say the market value of the property fully renovated is 40, you know, four hundred thousand dollars as an example. I like to position my properties with less amount of renovations and sell them at the 370, 380, 390 mark. Why would now you're asking me why would you do that? Because I remember what I touched on earlier. I'm into turnover. I'm into moving quickly, moving property. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit on something belaboring in the marketplace. Now, times are different now, but we're going through unusual times. In normal times, I want to be positioned at, at a, just below market value so that my product sells quickly, moves, and I can move on to the next because I want my money quickly. Second of all, I want to I want to position my property so that in relation to the other ones, I want the most amount of people to go through it because it's the cheapest one out there in the market, right? right. And it, it, it will drive offers. It will drive traffic and eventually a sale. So I, I I always leave a little bit of something always, uh, and that's part of also the renovations. You don't have to go and kill yourself on renovating the bathrooms and the kitchen and stuff like that. Clean them up, dress them up, position your property just below what the market value is, and move the product. Which goes back to the what's the most important. Well, one of the most important things is you got to buy right. And oftentimes, I find a lot of new real estate investors. They just don't know how to buy right because they immediately run over to that MLS where millions of other people are there poking through, sifting through properties, thinking they're going to find that you know that 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 great deal. And trust me, and and this, uh, there there is no great deals on MLS. You got to go and you got to you got to find those deals off market relationships you've created in the markets in, in the areas that you want to concentrate. You find a great deal, you clean it up, you do what you got to do, you sell it. If you got to tuck it down a little bit below market and you just turn over and move on to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we could obviously spend even an entire another episode on how to find that deal and how to run those numbers. Um, but uh, before I let you go, is there, uh, and I'm definitely opening another invite for you because uh, you're always welcome back. And, uh, and like I you. said, we can, we can, we could probably tackle some of these other subjects, but is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? 
Uh, no, I think we covered everything. Uh, I, I really, uh, I, 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 there's a lot of information that uh, that I provided over here that should help many, many people out there in thinking about things differently, uh, about how to approach their this business. It's a business. It's not. Uh, we're not doing this for fun. This is a business. We're trying to create financial freedom. We're trying to create something special for ourselves and also for our family. So hopefully, we've given enough information to be able to help people out. And if they need more information, they're more than welcome to go onto my website. There's lots of information there, and they can reach out to, through me uh, with through through there. Well, I can't thank you enough, Van. This has been a great conversation. Again, head over to his website, vansturgeon.com. I'll make sure to have those links in the show notes, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for having me. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes, and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated, along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.